The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to do a special generative AI episode of the MarTech Podcast. Joining us is our Gen AI correspondent, Jennifer Jones-Mitchell, who is the founder and creator coach at Human Driven AI, which offers a range of resources and services to help marketers integrate generative AI into their work, including a knowledge hub, workshops, and AI transformation strategies. And in addition to providing us with our guest today, Human Driven AI is also a sponsor of the MarTech Podcast. And today, Jennifer and I are going to discuss some of the recent AI news, including what happened at OpenAI's Dev Day. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Jennifer Jones-Mitchell, the founder and creator coach at Human Driven AI. Jennifer, welcome to a special generative AI episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thank you so much. It's good to see you again. Good to see you too. Pleasure to have you back on the show. This is the first time we've been able to chat where you are now a sponsor of the MarTech Podcast. So thank you for your generous support of the show and also for sharing your hard work following what's been happening in the AI space. Let's get right into it. OpenAI had some huge announcements. They were actually made yesterday, a few weeks ago by the time this episode will be published. Lots to talk about with uh, OpenAI's Dev Day. Give me the headlines here. Yeah, well, I got to say the Dev Day was a presentation that would have made Steve Jobs proud. It was just so exciting to watch. First, they announced ChatGPT4 Turbo. And basically what they've done is they've increased the context length and the tokens within ChatGPT. ChatGPT used to have 8,093 tokens. Now they have 128,000 tokens. So what does this mean? Tokens are basically the language, the way the AI organizes and understands the language, the structure, the text. The easiest way to explain it is a token represents the number of patterns the AI can create per word. So if you think about it, ChatGPT used to have around 8,000 tokens, whereas Claude, and you may recall that I liked Claude better for a long time because it sounded more human. That was like a long time ago, you know, last month. Yeah, exactly. Last month. <laughs> but Claude had 100,000 tokens compared to ChatGPT's 8,093. And that's why Claude sounded more human. 
Well, with this announcement at Dev Day, ChatGPT4 Turbo now has 128,000 tokens. So it's going to sound more human. It's going to be able to work with larger data sets and understand the context of larger documents, which basically means the output from ChatGPT will be much, much better now. They also, one of the failings of ChatGPT previously, of course, was that it was only trained on content up to 2021. Now it is trained, the new release with Turbo and ChatGPT4, it is trained up to April, 2023. So it has more knowledge that is more relevant to current events. Very, very exciting because that was a big failing I felt in OpenAI before. Okay, so a lot to unpack there. First off, let's talk about the actual dev day. You mentioned something that would make Steve Jobs happy. And it's funny, I saw some of the videos and I didn't watch the dev day live, but saw the recap of Sam Altman on stage and was like, okay, this is exactly Apple's playbook. Yes. Minimalist background. Hey, there was a little warmer color palette, some wood surrounding the screen, but a big screen that shows whatever they're talking about. And Sam Altman, in what I assume is going to be his uniform moving forward, he, instead of going with the black turtleneck, went with a very sensible green sweatshirt and I think some jeans. Yeah. But, you know, looked kind of like he was wearing neutral basic colors and presenting everything sort of as it is done in the Apple universe. And then at the end, he kind of gave the wait, but there's one more thing. What was your impression from the tone of the developer day? Because I just want to dive into that first. Well, I absolutely. In fact, my husband and I watched it together and I even said to him then, this is just like an Apple presentation. It was absolutely, like you said, followed that playbook. I did feel that Sam was not quite as charming as Steve Jobs was in his presentations. There were a few things that just kind of fell flat when he would bring out some other folks to show stuff. I think they were pausing for laugh lines they didn't get. So it was a little over rehearsed in my view. I also felt when he brought the Microsoft CEO out, they did not look very comfortable together. And they're trying to talk about this great partnership. Secretly, they just screamed at each other backstage. Yeah, it just <laughs> they were too focused on talking points, I felt. There wasn't enough back and forth there. But regardless, the announcements that they made were certainly incredibly exciting. I mean, the changes to ChatGPT are really earth shattering. I mean, it's beyond game changing. This is going to transform not just how marketing is done, but how business is done across the board. My takeaway when I heard about GPT Turbo was, oh, great. Now I can upload all my podcast transcripts in their entirety. Longer format content can go to ChatGPT yep. and you can ask for longer format content back. In theory, it's also going to be better content because of the number of tokens. Is there anything else marketers need to know about GPT-4 Turbo? I think the fact that it's now trained on content up to April 2023 is very interesting. They spent a lot of time, it was a dev developer conference, of course, dev day. So they spent a lot of time talking about the API and different modalities. But the big news, there are two big things for marketers. One, OpenAI is now launching Copyright Shield. And this is not anything new. Microsoft, IBM, I think Adobe all launched this previously, which basically indemnifies users from any copyright infringement claims when they use the output from ChatGPT now. And that's pretty big news because previously, I can tell you, I was recommending to my clients 
that you not use the output from ChatGPT for this very reason. And now I can change that line because the copyright shield will protect you even though the content may have been trained on copyrighted materials. So I think that that's really important. You can now use that output commercially. The copyright thing is obviously incredibly important. So we can have more faith that what we're getting from chat GPT, longer format, hopefully richer, better content also can be used for marketing without copyright claim concerns. But that wasn't the only thing that was announced in developer days. There was this notion of GPTs. First off, let me say, love the product, hate the name. I get <laughs> yeah. it. Everybody thinks chat GPT, but it, this is for developers. It was at a developer day. The name GPT is so confusing and nobody knows what it stands for. They should have been called agents. But I'll say that. Anyway, go on. Tell me what a GPT is other than being an AI agent. I agree completely on the name. Well, basically what OpenAI is doing now is they are allowing people to create their own GPTs and publish them within the GPT store where they can now monetize them through kind of a revenue sharing with OpenAI. So it's basically like creating an app store for your GPTs. And this is game changing because you don't have to be a developer to create your own GPT now. It's incredibly easy. The AI actually works with you, asks you the questions, you give it just a little bit of information and it takes you step by step through how to build your own GPT. So OpenAI is saying this is a way to democratize AI. I certainly think this is gonna encourage an entirely new economy where developers and marketers and companies, anyone can publish and monetize their own custom models. So let's say you're a small business or even an educational institution, you can now integrate this kind of advanced AI without the need to bring in programmers and developers. You can create your own GPT. So let's say you could create a legal GPT that offers legal advice or a contract generator, and you can market that to I don't know, like small businesses that want to leverage legal counsel without having to pay big fees. You could create a GPT that offers recipes for vegans. I mean, really anything that you want. I imagine enterprise companies will start creating their own GPTs to share brand histories or uses, like Home Depot could create a GPT with topics around DIY projects and guiding people through how to create their own whatever, how to build whatever they want by getting the instructions from the Home Depot GPT. Of course, some of these are going to be better than others. OpenAI says they'll elevate the most used and most useful GPTs to the top of the store. I am a little concerned about the quality and just being able to monitor the, again, the bias issue because who's creating these GPTs, we don't know. So I wanna learn a little bit more about how they're going to bake in protections when they're opening up the creation of GPTs to the world. But either way, this is truly game-changing because it now allows everyone to get a piece of that AI pie. So basically, OpenAI has announced their equivalent of the Apple App Store, where people can build individual applications, in this case, we're calling them GPTs, to serve discrete functions. We could make a Ask Ben Shapiro About MarTech podcast GPT, and people could come ask what I would say in theory about a given marketing question based on the topic of the content. Sounds wonderful. I'm sure everybody would love me in their home. We would. We would. <laughs> 
sure. <laughs> I lost my train of thought there. That sounds terrifying. So talk to me about how available GPTs are. One of the things that I thought was interesting is you could basically make a chat GPT-based application using natural language. Hey, use this GPT to take the content from the MarTech podcast and respond in the tone of Benjamin Shapiro. That's all you have to do to create a GPT. And you can also upload some proprietary data to the GPT can operate off of. So I can upload all of our transcripts in theory. How hard is this to make? Where are they? How do you make them? Is it available yet? It seems like everybody and their mother is going to be creating GPTs like everybody was creating iPhone apps when it first launched. How do we get started? Well, to create your own GPT, you need to have ChatGPT4 or a Turbo account. Once you've logged in, you'll see an Explore button in the top left. You click that, and on the next screen, you see Create GPT. And here's the fun part. So on the left side, you have the panel where you build your GPT. And on the right side, you have a panel where you can test it. So all you need to do really is identify the topic for your GPT. And it'll prompt you with things like names and profile images and other questions. Do bear in mind you can change the name and the image at any time. But remember, the names are not exclusive. So you want to come up with something that's catchy, but also explains what your GPT does, because other people can use a similar or even the same name. It's up to you, of course, to define the objectives, to explain the tone that it takes, whether it's friendly, funny, professional, etc. Basically, you tell it what to focus on, and you also want to tell your GPT what to avoid. So this can be things like avoid harmful or dangerous topics or focus on a specific industry or vertical. I do highly recommend that you spend some good time training your GPT. Don't just run with your initial concept. You really want this to be useful and unique. The way you train it, you can reference different websites. You can upload your own content using a button called Knowledge. These can be PDFs, images, text files, really whatever helps to customize and inform your GPT. You can also direct it on primary functions. Try not to be too broad. The more specific and detailed your directions, the better your GPT will be. You can give instructions up to as many as 8,000 characters in length. You can even create custom actions and build schemas. You do this by clicking in the left panel, you click configure up at the top. And it'll help you to build schemas, to add APIs, like maybe text-to-speech functionalities, anything that fits your GPT topic and makes it more engaging. But the best part is you don't have to be a programmer. It is a very conversational way to build it. You just think of a problem you want to solve or a way to expand your brand's engagement. I can easily see home improvement companies creating a branded DIY GPT or a tax preparation company creating a branded tax advisor GPT. But you can also expand your own individual thought leadership by associating your brand with an on-brand GPT. For example, I'm creating GPTs around prompt engineering for marketers, advertisers, and PR pros so they can easily capture the right series of prompts to achieve certain tasks. But really, the possibilities are limitless. And listen, this is more than just a way for people and brands to engage with customers. This is a new economy. Very soon, OpenAI will allow people and brands to monetize their GPTs in a GPT store, just like the App Store. So this is a great way for folks to get a piece of that AI pie. 
All right. So no code required to be able to create your own GPT. Talk to me about uploading content to make your GPT special. Seems like that's what's going to be differentiated. If anybody can go and use natural language to be able to create a GPT, then in theory, anybody can create any GPT at any time. The data is the differentiator. Should we be concerned about what we're uploading into ChatGPT? What's proprietary? What information we're giving to the system? Absolutely. I'm always concerned about what you're uploading to anything, especially AI. I want to emphasize you should never upload anything that is fully proprietary or your company's IP. So you have to kind of be a little cagey in the information you give it because, of course, as with anything, the output is only as good as the input you give it. Now, OpenAI spent a lot of time talking about safety and protection and how they are safeguarding anything that you give them. But again, I would still caution people to make sure that you are abiding certainly by any company rules and guidelines that you have around intellectual property, but also what you're sharing yourself, because I'm not the kind of person who just automatically trusts these companies with all of my personal data. That said, if you are an enterprise brand, which I think they're really trying to create more custom GPTs, OpenAI wants to create more custom GPTs with enterprise companies first as they kind of test this out. But I'm a little concerned about if everyone is able to create a GPT. We already have the bias issue with AI. So how are they going to oversee to make sure that what's being uploaded is accurate, unbiased, safe? They didn't really get into how they're going to kind of monitor who's creating what. All they said is they're going to, open AI is going to elevate the most used or most useful GPTs to the top of the GPT store. But what does that mean exactly? I mean, if you create something that is putting out harmful information, but it's used a lot, does that mean that's going to be at the top of the GPT store? So I do want to see more around the oversight, the management. How are they going to ensure that what people are creating is accurate and not harmful? Because we are opening the floodgates now for anyone to create a GPT. It's the double-edged sword. They're making it easy, which is great. But that could also allow bad actors to create content and GPTs. So I'm clicking around in platform.openai.com and I see that there is the playground, then there's assistance, and then there's fine-tuning API files usage, dot, dot, dot. Is the GPT creation in the same platform? Is it platform.openai.com where people can go and create their GPTs or is this in a separate space? It's a separate space. It's the GPT Builder. So you just want to Google GPT Builder and you do need to be a Turbo or GPT-4 user. Otherwise, you cannot create your own GPT. But if you are a Turbo or GPT-4 user, it is so easy. You literally just click on Build a GPT and tell it what you want. And like I said, it'll walk you through all of the steps of how to create it. Well, heartbreaking. I'm still just a regular GPT user, not a GPT Turbo user. I can't wait for access to the new features. Come on, Sam Altman. What the heck? We're talking about this publicly. All right. Last topic I have for you for the SEO news. 
not just development, but also politics, something that I have gone to very far lengths not to talk about in this podcast because I don't want to be confused with the other Ben Shapiro. But we're going to have to get into it here. President Joe Biden, love him or hate him, decided to make a proclamation, a presidential executive order discussing artificial intelligence. So tell me a little bit about what the president said he would or won't do when it comes to regulating artificial intelligence. There are things I like about this and things I don't. I do like that this is the first time I have seen this administration loop in the Department of Commerce, the Department of Homeland Security to drive some of these guardrails that the executive order outlines, because in the past it's kind of been, oh, we'll just let these companies regulate themselves and they pinky swear that they'll do a good job. But now I like the fact that the watermarking that they're going to be requiring is going to do a lot to protect us from deep fakes. Because you imagine there's a deep fake out there of your CEO and requiring a watermark, not just on any AI content that you create, but also having a branded watermark so that you can point to a deep fake and say that does not have our unique branded watermark. Therefore, it is not real. That's going to, I think, help to address a lot of the concerns about false information and fake content being created by AI. So I do really like that part of it. I think those are some good guardrails. They're also working with the Department of Homeland Security to ensure kind of a safe usage of AI. We have seen problems in the past where people are using AI to create bombs or do things that are dangerous or damaging. So being able to work now with not just these companies, but to have the actual government regulations and the government step in. I do like that because it's a little better than just trusting these tech companies. I do think we can still go further, though, and I'm sure that the Biden administration will continue to explore this and how we can avoid reactionary restrictions on AI, but also look into the future of how this is going to be used and how we need to mitigate misuse around AI. It seems like some of the biggest concerns related to AI are safe uses of artificial intelligence and distinguishing reality from fiction. And it seems like that was the primary focus of this executive order it is not necessarily about restricting the development of AI or even necessarily the sharing of the development of AI. It seems like with something like the semiconductor industry, it seems like there's been regulations in terms of what our relationships are with other nation states. But this is more about protecting right versus wrong, true versus false, and people's privacy. Absolutely. Bringing in the consumer protection agencies uniting them to help brands protect the integrity of their own content and to make sure that we address that fake news, fake content issue. This is something we didn't address enough with social media, as you know, it was that whole, oh, we trust the tech companies to regulate themselves. And personally, I was worried that we were headed that way with AI, but I am pleased to see that at least there are some efforts being made to govern just how the AI is used and developing this kind of framework around how law enforcement and how the congressional legislation is going to address the whole deep fake, fake content issue. 
I do think requiring the watermarks is very, very interesting. I think that's going to be an important safety guardrail. And I think bringing in the National Institute of Standards and Technology is also going to be incredibly important, especially with future AI releases. And that's something I think we also need to consider when we're looking at the open AI GPTs, where anyone can create their own GPT. We want to make sure that we have those guardrails applying to consumer or individual created AI, as well as what comes from the big tech companies. It's incredible how fast AI is moving, and we're going to have to have a second episode just to talk about not necessarily the announcements, but what it means for marketers. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Jennifer Jones-Mitchell, founder and creator coach for Human Driven AI. Join us again tomorrow when Jennifer and I continue our conversation talking about how to use generative AI for design. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Jennifer, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is JonesyJen, that's J-O-N-E-S-Y-J-E-N. Or you can visit her company's website, which is humandrivenai.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can even apply to be the next guest speaker on the MarTech Podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is MarTechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Or you can contact me directly on LinkedIn. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.